0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, we talk to more folks at the 2021 National Cyber Summit from Huntsville, Alabama. So in this episode, I'm going to have three cuts of three interviews I did with three ladies at the National Cyber Summit. And they all have different takes on cybersecurity, which makes these three interviews very interesting from that perspective. One is a CEO for a company that You've probably never heard of, but pro- probably everyone on this podcast has had some interaction with this company at some point in your life. And um, when we t- when I talk to Lisa, you'll get an idea of what uh, that is, Lisa DeFalco. I also talked to a professor at August, um, Augusta University in Georgia about the cyber labor shortage and how to create potential... Cybersecurity folks, as young as, as as elementary school, and then I talked to a member of the Cult of the Dead cow Medusa, Caitlin Bowden, uh, on cyber hacktivism, how she got involved in cyber altogether, uh, and her nonprofit she put together named Badass. So we'll talk to her about that. But before I get to the interviews, a couple points for this week. It is October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so. Uh, if you are looking to better inform yourself on cybersecurity matters, a couple ways you can do that uh, on LinkedIn. If you follow me, I am posting different cyber cases over the course. Of the cyber world, I guess, uh, every day on my LinkedIn feed. Uh, I know Scott Augenbaum, who's been a guest on the show several times, is posting videos about different cybersecurity matters. And there's just a lot of different cybersecurity folks online that you can follow, either on LinkedIn or on any of your other social media platforms that'll talk about cybersecurity, specifically this month being at Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Also, uh, check out my other podcast, Get Cyber Smart. Uh, you mm-hmm. can find that on all your regular podcast outlets. It's a quick little 10 minute Look into the world of cyber as far as it's not even in the look into the world of cyber. It's a, an educational look at this crazy thing we call cyber. Uh, and so this week I talk about the cyber insiders. So I avail you of those particular resources to to educate yourself more on cybersecurity matters. But I want to get right into these interviews uh, again. Lisa DeFalco. I apologize to Lisa because I say her name wrong at the beginning of the interview. That's my bad. So my apologies to Lisa Ashley uh, Guess from Augusta University. And Caitlin Bowden, member of the Cult of the Dead Cow. Enjoy. So I'm joined now by Lisa DeMarco of TPG, Inc., Uh, And so how would people know what TPG Inc is, Lisa? And that's a leading question because I know the answer. So if if I wanted to say what is TPG Inc, how would I know who you are?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. And TPG is known predominantly in the commercial sector by the tagline we started 25 years ago, which is this call may be monitored for quality assurance. So we were the first to actually provide independent monitoring for commercial communications that are predominantly done through call centers, Mm -hmm. and over the years the Fortune 500 have adopted our method of how you define a quote, good call uh, around the globe in that area.
0: Okay, so let me ask you, what is a good call?
1: So there's actually, um, I'll summarize it by saying it's a call where we're treating each other with respect and we remember the humanity of the call as we're trying to work through all the systems to get a problem solved. Um, So it's humanity attached to knowledge of a call. I share that very top level because there's about 147 attributes that I've written (laughs) that the Fortune 500 use. But in summary, it's about respecting each other, having trust in each other, and remembering the humanity of the conversation.
0: And how is that measured? Do you have AI that does that now, or do you have someone who actually goes through and, and listens to every call and says, okay, this fits? This fits as a good call.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. For 20, four years of our history. It was all done through professional analysts, behavioral science analysts, who would listen to the call and they would follow kind of a scorecard that I was using, um, that I designed. And so they have been giving us 180 million attributes to be able to define um, a rich database of, of good calls and bad calls. And from that, we just built the industry's first artificial intelligence engine to do auto scoring. So our client community represents 15 million calls every month that they're handling. And so we're now able, and we're bringing it forward to all those 15 million. So our artificial intelligence engine is called Anna. And she's like a super-powered analyst that's able to evaluate calls all day long.
0: So, did you develop Anna in-house, or did you have a third party develop it for you?
1: Yeah, so it's a collaborative effort. We partner with a company called Enterra Solutions um, to help us as a to extend our software development team. We have over 50 people inside TPG that are in the software development business, and then the extension of our team through Enterra's partnership is the collaboration to bring Anna to market.
0: Right. So, taking a look at so obviously. You record and maintain all of these calls, which have, I assume, some of it has a lot of personal information, a lot of PII, a lot of financial information. So, how do you secure that?
1: Yeah, so that's security has been interesting. It's been on the forefront of us for a long time, even in the commercial sector, and that's a uh, prerequisite before we even get sophisticated enough to handle the, the government sector that we're now in. And so we, um, there's a couple of things we do. First of all, we are we adhere to the standards and we're certified for SOC 2, uh, for PCI, for HIPAA. We're in the, down the path of actually achieving the CMC standards. Of mm-hmm. course, nobody's truly achieved them. But we wind up partnering with um, a company, uh, Simple Helix is our partner for, data, for the data center. And so partnering with them, we adhere the standards inside our business and then we work with them to adhere the standards there. But it's something that we have our our CISO actively focused on. We're constantly working through that. And we also just completed our audit for CMMC um, and found where we have more opportunity to improve. Shall I right. say as, it that way?
0: As all as, companies can say that same, that exactly. same exact phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is... So it is not... I am not being unkind to say you are not a cybersecurity expert.
1: You're not being a, unkind. You're, but, you're being quite accurate. But
0: I would say that you are obviously dealing with a lot of cybersecurity threats and risks. What is what are you seeing the most of? Like what is your biggest concern from a from a from a cybersecurity perspective, what is your company, what is your CISO or you you and mm-hmm. your CISO focused on Here's the areas we need to protect because these are our biggest issues.
1: Well, yeah, so I'm not an expert at all. Um, but I, I, after being in business for 25 years, I would say this as an entrepreneur, my biggest focus and my biggest concern is taking care of my clients. Mm-hmm. So in that realm, it places me on the forefront of cybersecurity because it's become mm. such a, a, a relevant risk for them. So the interactions that we listen to and we eat, the recordings that we house are um, some of the most fragile pieces of information in the commercial sector where we're dealing with personal information for the largest brands. I mean, we're working with companies like United Airlines and American Express and UBS and so Toyota. So we're talking about well-recognized companies that are always under a general threat. So mm-hmm. we take it very seriously to make sure that we can uh, be worthy Of housing such information inside of our company on our clients' behalf. So things like redaction are part of our uh, recordings that we, you know, encryption at rest, making sure we have redaction capabilities and using them and just making sure that it's on the forefront that we're constantly auditing ourselves and having ourselves audited so that we um, protect the assets of our clients.
0: And how's the relationship between you and your clients? I assume their CISOs and your CISO are in constant contact saying, here's the issues, here are the requirements we have for Mm -hmm. our data. And so I gotta believe he is one busy fella or lady, <laughs> yeah. dealing with, okay, so MX has PCI issues. This healthcare system has HIPAA requirements. Yes. So trying to co- co- collate all of those. But here's the interesting question I, that just kind of came to me. How many of those are similar in the sense that PCI requirements, HIPAA requirements, CMSC requirements, how many of those overlap? So you really don't have a lot of individualization per se, but it's, so it makes it a little easier. Or is it tremendously complicated and...
1: Yeah, so yeah. that's that you know, that's been one of the secrets to TPG really getting into the next next generation because to your point, Darren, we do serve a variety of industries, right? And and so even though I would we've learned about eighty eight to ninety percent of the applications are the same, they they still are asking for different standards. So what we've had to do is go out in front of all of that which is why we embrace CMMC so strongly inside of TPG, because what we've learned is CMMC's controls are stronger than any one of the controls. And so what we've been able to do with our clients is to say, hey, yes, you want PCI for this community, and this other community wants ISO, and healthcare wants trusted value, and everybody has their own alphabet soup, excuse my language of that, right, mm-hmm. of, of cyber. If we can all agree that CMC addresses all of your standards, and we actually partner with a, a, a company called Mission Multiplier that had built for us the, our, a control set that says, okay, of all the controls of CMC, Here's how they map to PCI and ISO and everything else. So we have our own controls against that, but we're getting the commercial community. And this is a very vast community that we serve. We're getting the commercial community all aligned to embrace CMMC. And we're really proud of that because we're able to say, hey, if we can cover that, the commercial sector is as aligned to the defense sector as ever before. And, and selfishly, I'll say, for TPG, we have one set of standards that we're working toward. Mm-hmm. So we're really proud. Like I mentioned, it's 15 million calls that we're handling every single month in our community. So it's vast. We're in seven countries. And so we're feeling really great that are watching our community align to CMC. They couldn't even say the letters. In some of the industries sure. before we talked, and now they're just like, okay, where are we in the CMMC world?
0: And that's great because I was talking to a guy earlier, and, and we were talking about CMMC. And if you're in if you're in a space that doesn't have compliance at all, I mean, municipalities, take take a well, police department. Uh-huh. They have some sejus issues for their some of their, you know, the one computer system that deals with the criminal justice information system. But for everything else, it's whatever you want. Knock yourself out. Uh-huh. But if everybody incorporated CMMC, they even if they. You know, they're not going after government contracts. They don't have to be certified, but just take those practices and say, okay, we're gonna follow these as best we can. They'd be so much better off.
1: Totally agree, and and I'm thrilled that we're able to get the sectors to ad- adopt that. The first sector we're able to get to adopt that is the financial community, which isn't surprising to me because they require not only PCI, they also require ISO mm-hmm. standards as well. So they were the first. But healthcare as well, as, uh, adopting that, our entertainment sectors, which have the least amount of controls, as you mentioned, they're like okay, that just gives us more cre- you know, more yeah. credibility for that. And I said, great.
0: Well, the funny thing is, all those all those communities are probably taking it more seriously than the dib community that is required <laughs> for. It. But
1: that's what I'm hearing. I
0: might be anticipating. I might be just making that up. I don't yeah, know. I, maybe <laughs> not. I, I, <laughs> so let me. I'm going to ask you a question. I have not asked anybody else because you're in a, you just moved to Huntsville from Sarasota part time, obviously. Yes. So what do you think of Huntsville?
1: Ah, uh, so I love Huntsville. So I, the thing I love about Huntsville, I love how progressive it is. I was told when I came here it was going to be a kind of a military defense contracting mm-hmm. type of town. And so there, of course, that is the case, however, I don't feel that every day. So I kind of feel like there's a discipline about this city that I really welcome, but it's extremely progressive. I love the vision of the city, I love how fast it moves. I come from a city. I have offices in Omaha, Nebraska. I love Omaha. It doesn't move as fast in terms of just progress in the city, the development of the city. I I love the um, the music vibe here. Um, that all the downtown area. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like the Chamber of Commerce because I'm so happy with this area. <laughs> yeah. completely. I love that everything you can get to is like 20 minutes or less.
0: Yes, and ah, property great. taxes are low.
1: Oh, and, and home prices are phenomenal value.
0: <laughs> well, see, that that's funny, because if you ask a, someone who's been in Huntsville for a few years, I'm, man, rock, prices are skyrocketing.
1: I know. It's all perspective, though. Yes. I, if, you're, if you're from outside, if you're from the Northeast or from Florida, yeah. then this is the place to be to buy a home.
0: How's your y'all? Are y'all working okay? I'm
1: working on y'all. I, okay. I'm working on y'all and it's one, um, it's one bless syllable. your heart. <laughs> and I'm learning that bless your heart when people tell me that. I should be concerned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well Lisa, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank it's you. good to see you again. Great
1: to see you, Darren. Thanks, thanks so much. <laughs> bye
0: bye. All right, so I'm I'm joined now by Ashley Guest, the assistant professor for professor for the Department of Teaching and Leading at Augusta University. Or is it Augusta State, I'm sorry. Augusta but, University. Augusta University, uh, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So Ashley, thanks for coming in, stopping by and taking some time.
2: Thanks, absolutely.
0: So Talk a little bit about, before we get into the topic, we want to talk about yeah. retaining talent. Because, yeah. obviously, I, I do a lot of hiring for the company I work for. And Go trying ahead. to find people to fill those spots has been problematic. Uh, which I, I assume, um, in, in your role, trying to find people to come into the program and stay with it and move on, is probably, you're having similar issues, or hopefully maybe not. I don't know. but
2: No, no, we mm-hmm. are. And it's, it's all about who chooses to, to enter, you know, the discipline, cybersecurity, computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we keep them there as well? Right. And honestly, what we're finding is that really starts in elementary school. Prepping kids to, to be able to kind of receive this kind of um, information, you know, interest, keeping their interest, it's really something that needs to start intentionally. In elementary school.
0: And do you find that kids, I mean, that obviously they're growing up around technology. Yeah. And they're just not interested in how the technology works or to secure, it. they're just more interested in making sure the information comes to them. Is that the is that the hump we're trying to come over? You, you think we need to come, kind of overcome going forward?
2: To be honest with you, I don't think it's the kids. I think the kids are interested. I think the kids um, want to know. I think they're like sponges. They want to soak it up. They want to. It's relevant to them. What's like third graders are going to school with a phone, right? So sure. they're asking Siri stuff. They know how it works. They they get it. Mm-hmm. That's relevant to them. The, the issue and. Not to step on anybody's toes, but my research step tells me—my <laughs> research tells me that the issue is the teacher. Uh-huh. The teacher is the one who doesn't really get it, right? They—they they use the phone, but they—they're they're already in their career,
0: right? You know, they—they
2: right, right. they haven't ever worked in cybersecurity or computer science. In fact, this whole coding thing, this whole—hey, my how my phone works in security and whatnot—is foreign to the typical teacher. And I'm talking even the 25-year-old teacher.
0: Well, let me ask you this question. It's going to be a side step yeah, to yeah. what you wanted to talk about, but it brings up something that's a that's a passion to me because sure. so I was a, I'm a former educator. Okay, I was a high school teacher. Okay. a science. I did science. Right. But I did computer stuff on the side. Okay. Love computers. But yeah. and we had the same issue with our like the lady in charge of our technology mm-hmm. was she didn't seem to care about it. she was like stuck in it and so. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Right. So then I went to the FBI and did cyber for the FBI. Okay, now okay. i have come back because right, I have so I have a master's degree in cybersecurity mm-hmm. and education. And I'm trying to blend those two things together. Right, and right. so one of the things I developed was a cybersecurity basic training course mm. for educators. Yeah. Um, and so I reached out to a couple of schools. One was my high school I went to. Right. Um, so I call I contacted the superintendent, who doesn't right. know me necessarily knows my parents, but knows doesn't know me. Contacted my college. Okay. Again, the president doesn't know me, but right. I was I said, Hey, I'm just a right. graduate. And a friend of mine who I who was a college roommate who was a superintendent at a school in upstate New York I said hey here's what I have I have this program I'm going to offer to you for free I'll train your teachers on what just general cybersecurity, so they understand the threats that are out there they all said no thanks or didn't respond at all well see this is
2: what I'm telling you yeah right so so the question is how do we not necessarily how do we interest the kids and keep them persisting I would submit the question is how do we interest the teachers and keep them persisting right and how do we get so how do we get there Exactly. So, my research really centers around engaging the teachers in their own practice with the habits of mind that are unique to cybersecurity professionals. And my colleague, Michael Nowakowski, and I are getting ready to publish a paper, hopefully, um, where we did a pretty in-depth study on what that is. Mm -hmm. And what we found, something really cool for cybersecurity professionals, is a unique lively mind. That, that a lot of teachers don't have, yeah. right? And so if you don't have it yourself, how do you train that in your student? Well, there is a way. You can really embed them in the design process, designing in their own classroom. But again, the problem, the teacher who's trying to teach critical thinking who doesn't use critical thinking around their own practice. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing at Augusta University is deeply embedding the teacher in that process. We're doing it formally, through their computer science endorsement and our STEM endorsement, but we're doing it informally and really trying to blur the lines between formal and informal education, and it seems to be working.
0: What do you? And so, what's the feedback from the folks who have taken it? Are they taking that information that you're giving them and ta- and pranking it back to the? They to sure the are. Okay.
2: Because a part of our explicit training is that we build a professional network for the teachers that go. Beyond district, beyond state, we are building a network where it's teacher to teacher. Mm -hmm. We step out. Sure. You know, we're building that within our courses and we're connecting people with cybersecurity professionals in their area. Um, And it, it seems to be working, which is great.
0: And are you exporting that to other colleges like your own to try to do the same thing? Or are there other colleges doing similar stuff? Or are you kind of a unique unicorn in that perspective? Oh, the unicorn,
2: I love it. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, I don't know of anybody else who's doing it the way we're doing it. Um, we, there's a lot of curriculum out there, and good curriculum.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Somebody's having a good yeah, time yeah, over yeah. there. it's <laughs> very <laughs> fun over there at the there, game. The game.
0: <laughs> putting me next to the game area was probably not a good <laughs> idea. <but laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so we we would submit there's a lot of good curriculum. We want to teach the teachers how to best use that curriculum and in their own practice, develop that lively mind mm-hmm. so they can bring it out in their students and then hopefully bring them into, you know, be more likely to, to select computer science, cybersecurity for their major.
0: So how do you find, so the kids that are coming in to do computer science or cybersecurity... Yep. How many of them are coming in with a very good background? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, they're none, not, they're no, coming no. hey, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah, my, yeah. my dad said go do cybersecurity. There's security. a lot of money in this. Yeah, I'm right. going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Right?
2: Yep. So, so, so here before, we've been talking about K-12 teachers. Now let's talk professor.
0: Yeah. All yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. So
2: the reason that kind of general lively mind approach does work in K-12 is because it's general ed. Right. You're, you're training skill. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's two conversations, I guess. One is, do we really need a four-year degree to be a cybersecurity professional? I mean, let's, that's the toothpaste out of the tube. I'm going to say you don't. There it is.
0: Right, exactly, you don't.
2: So sure, you don't. And so, so maybe that's a way to hook them, is really get them going in that two-year degree path or, mm-hmm. or, or or certification path, which well, would you can say do this, in high school. And
0: I would say this from a, from a four-year perspective. Yeah. You have kids that come in without certifications. If the classes gave the certification test at the end, Amen. which I know some do. My, so my son yeah. went to UAH here in mm-hmm. and, and Information Systems right, right. with a cybersecurity base, and right. some of his classes had the certification at the right. end. Here's the problem. He didn't get the certification because he didn't recognize the value at the time uh, and the, the professors didn't say, "Hey, look, emphasize it. I'm going to mm-hmm. do this. At the end, you can get Security Plus if you take the test."
2: Right. You Which should do qualifies that. qualifies you to entry-level right. positions. Right. Exactly,
0: but he didn't. He goes out will yeah. do it later. Yeah. So I, I think that's that goes to your point where even at the college level, they're yeah. not pushing those. Things maybe they just don't know. I don't know.
2: Well, and then you know, th- there is the argument that for them to be able to move on, move up in cybersecurity or computer science, they need a degree.
0: Sure, sure. You're right. Sure. Yeah, right. Right. So I
2: understand that too. But like, I have a kid myself, my youngest. He's extremely smart. He looks at calculus and doesn't sneeze. I mean, it's just it's who he is. Yep. Do you know what he wants to do? Weld.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I'm and like, the world needs welders too. Serious? But can't you do but do both do two I,
2: things? I. But see, this is the point. <laughs> Don't discourage them from doing what they think they want to do. Right. But get them in there doing a piece of what you know they'd be good at, too, yep. you know, because they don't know enough to make that decision. But then trying to push somebody in who's like, ah, I don't want to do it, yeah. that's counterproductive as well. So, the other piece is, I would submit that the first two years of college still qualify for general education. And why aren't we doing that same lively mind kind of idea mm-hmm. when you're in general English, general right. math? general you know i'm not talking about senior level stuff here
0: right all the basics you got to get into the senior let's
2: stuff be lively the mm-hmm. lively mind is what you need for cyber that's what research has told us at augusta university so training that in an intentional way is essential to be able to prep kids for what they need to do
0: that's great yeah. so, so how do you think we solve the labor shortage problem
2: Yeah, right. So I think getting in the high school, getting them in certifications, serious. I think that's the serious thing we should be looking at doing more of, to be honest. And I know a lot of people don't agree with that. That's fair enough. Right. But why not? Why not give these high schoolers who are like, yeah, I got to work like my son. Why couldn't he go and do that? I'll tell you why. Because his high school requires a track. If he takes AP classes, that's he can't do that stuff. Right. That is completely bogus, in mm-hmm. my view. He wants to weld, but he's also an AP kid. Challenge him. Yeah. Why not? There's the lively mind problem. He has a lively mind.
0: And I will say that's a 35-year problem, if not more. So, because I know 100%. when I was when I was in high school, we had the it was called the Bosey's Track. Mm. And it was a whole separate school. So mm. in the afternoon, that group of kids wanted to do the welding and the hairdressing oh, right, right. went to a different school, school to do that. They weren't. And if it was all integrated in one, then maybe you could say, maybe I could have. I, I can't weld. I can't do carpentry crap. But if maybe if I said, hey, maybe I'm going to go take that class as well. Maybe I'd have learned those skills. That'd have been great.
2: But see, that's the point. Yep. Right. But now you're. F- he's forced into one or the other. He couldn't even finish his welding right because mm-hmm. we asked him to take ap classes to prep him sure. for other things so it, that's kind of bad i think yeah you know but it is what it is
0: well actually thanks so much the sure. lively mind i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna remember that going forward please
2: do that's mine nobody take that no, until yes. you Ash- cite me ashley, G- <laughs> ashley gas thank you Gass so much you. thank
0: you so much so uh, i'm honored to be joined now by a member of the cult of the dead cow <laughs> did I even say that right? I did <laughs> uh, Caitlin Bowden? Caitlin, thanks for taking the time to stop and talk with me.
3: I'm excited to be here. This is a good time.
0: So I want to talk about two things. I'll we'll talk about Cult of the Dead Cow a little bit, and your 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 nonprofit you used to have that helped protect women online. Yes. I think that's probably the more important topic to talk about. But before we get there, how did you? What was your, what's your cybersecurity journey? How did you start down the road? Were you always in cybersecurity, or did it kind of fall to you at some other point?
3: Well, I mean. If you want to view cybersecurity in a broad spectrum, which I do, I was a bartender for 12 years. And Mm -hmm. if you think that isn't the ultimate social engineering, well, (laughs) it was, it was good training. Um, And then, you know, my cybersecurity journey started in a pretty awful way. Um, Some pictures I had shared with an ex got shared on a community website dedicated just to that, to uh, people sharing nudes without consent. And uh, found out that there were no laws in Ohio that made it illegal. Um, and there was no recourse. Nobody had any idea how to even start investigating those sorts of crimes. So I just said, you know what, I'm done. This is, this is bull. I am about to go fight back however I can. Great. Attention, mm-hmm. attendees. The keynote luncheon is now beginning in North Hall 2 and 3. Again, the keynote luncheon is now beginning in North Hall
0: Okay, that's good timing there. So, <laughs> okay, so, so you start, so you went, so that got you started, and yes. then you, tell me about your nonprofit, and because I know that. So, full disclosure, your husband and I work together. Yes. So <laughs> I know he's told me many of your exploits and your successful prosecutions you've gotten. So, talk about some of those successes.
3: Well, um, you know, when it first started out, I just started collecting other victims. I went through these websites and I found them the same way the creepy guys find them, mm-hmm. except I found them as somebody. Hey, this is happening to me too. Bet you we could do something if we all worked together, and quickly it just added up and added up, and it immediately grew to something huge. Um, the nonprofit was called Badass, battling against demeaning and abuse of selfie sharing, and it was a coalition of thousands of victims worldwide, all working to, you know, end the practice of sharing nudes without consent and to take their images back. Um, you know, we ended up getting a bunch of laws passed. I believe we did between. Those thousands of people, I believe we have seven laws in place. Um, You know, I personally have helped with quite a few of those, um, as well as introducing federal legislation. We've helped, um, you know, police prosecute many of the people sharing these images, um, as well as, you know, just educating teens and police officers, everybody who needs to know about this sort of thing, how to prevent it happening, how to. Investigate. I just we ended up training them on how to do that.
0: Did you find that the state investigators were thankful that you brought this stuff, and were they willing to help support it, even if the laws didn't exist? Were they able to find the find other loophole law or not loopholes, but other laws that could fit the gaps that would make prosecution possible?
3: Yes. Well, early on, we really lucked out with um, one of the officers that ended up working with us. Um, his name is J.P. Riggo, and he is. A BCI officer in Ohio, and he had uh, done the Steubenville case, this big Steubenville rape case that really brought Anonymous to the forefront. So he was already kind of familiar with people, um, you know, kind of getting involved and becoming activists simply out of a sense of frustration. He was really happy to hear that, you know, we were willing to work with them and we wanted to help. So, yeah, he was extremely receptive, introduced me to a lot of people, and made sure that I, you know, we knew what we were doing.
0: And the hard part, I think, probably with you may have found in other jurisdictions is just finding that right police force with the right level of skill to understand the nuances around all of these cyber issues as far as the sharing of them, the distribution going out, the private websites that would host them and things like that. So I assume that was probably the hard part.
3: It was incredibly hard. And you have to have that sort of understanding all the way down the chain. We have done everything from getting, um, you know, collecting evidence and building a case and working with prosecutors only to get in front of a judge that was like, I don't understand IP addresses and I don't want to learn.
0: Right. Yes. Um,
3: So it gets thrown out and it is incredibly frustrating to continually keep hitting those sorts of, you know, roadblocks when it comes to justice. These should be things that, you know, should be actively prosecuted on a big level. And it
0: probably didn't get any easy when you try to convince the politicians, here's why this law needs to exist, because they understand it even less so and probably don't care to understand it. But
3: they actually most were extremely receptive. Oh, that's and, good. Well, one, they got to say badass on the floor <laughs> of the House or the Senate, sure. which is always fun. Um, they got to work with some weirdo with green hair, which they never get to do. It was a nice little change of pace for yeah, most yeah. of them. That's good. Um, and, you know, it's always fun to... Just do something different. Yes. You know, making a change is like the best feeling in the world. And
0: especially from a political standpoint, this is really a nonpartisan issue. You can't really come down and say, well, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that's something that should happen. So, if you, if, so that, that, that at least has got to be rewarding in the sense that you can say, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. You have a politician say, you're right, that is a problem, and I'm going to help you fix it, and then have a law created. Did did they put your name in it, at least? Or did they put badass in the name of the law, at least?
3: It has not gotten one with the name on it. However, I would love to see some federal legislation happen. The badass bill? That sounds so cool. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You've got to find find the right person to sponsor it.
3: (laughs) I know. Maybe someday. As of right now, I'm just doing stuff um, with the cult of the dead cow, trying to just... You know, help inspire activists in general, and remind people that they have the power to change. You know, make a change. To- so let's
0: talk about that a little bit. Cult of the Dead Cow. It's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those, some of the guys who created, have gone into more commercial yes. endeavors, obviously. Yes. Um, so what is the what is the goal of it now? Um, how big is it? You don't have to give any deep specifics if a lot of that is secret, but um, yeah, yeah.
3: I'll, I'll say what I can.
0: Yeah, say what you can. <laughs> Obviously, I, in all cases, say what you can. All right, it's need to know.
3: Um, well, as of right now, you know, there's a few dozen that are st- that are active, and most of the big names that people associate with the group are still involved. Okay. Um, and right now, the whole point is to get involved with that with hacktivism again. Make that a thing. You know, whether it's. Um, You know, giving people advice on how to do things in a legal way or how it's going to make the most impact um, without getting themselves in trouble, as well as, um, you know, teaching some non-traditional methods
0: and that was gonna be my question because it is funny because we, we're talking cyber hacktivism I, I have another podcast that's more educationally focused and last week I talked about cyber hacktivism and talk what it was and what the basis behind that is but not all cyber hacktivism is illegal in nature some no, of it certainly not. is some doxing things like that mm-hmm. so talk about the what, what legal legal cyber hacktivism looks like and how why people if they if they really have a commitment to a value how that can help help push that belief forward
3: Absolutely. I mean, with Badass, that was all hacktivism, and it was from people that weren't highly technical. So we weren't sitting there popping shells or, Mm -hmm. you know, doing anything that was illegal. We were using OSINT, um, open source intelligence, to help track down victims one at a time, as well as um, try to identify who is the one posting their images. Um, So that is a form of hacktivism that isn't illegal. It doesn't take a ton of technical knowledge, Um, you know, as well as... Um, you know, m- using the media, using social media in a way to get your um, voice out there, to get people on board with your message, to, um, you know, recruit, help, and do that sort of thing. That's all involved with hacktivism. And even things that technically aren't illegal, um, have been. we've been seeing people be charged with them. In the case of Tilly Cotman, um, who had hacked into the Verkada cameras. Um, they didn't share any of that information. They didn't release it. They told the media they had it, um, rather than go to Verketa, who would cover it up. They mm-hmm. wanted people to know, like, this is a big issue and raise awareness of the fact that um, even the simplest things are not, you know, like security cameras or IoT devices. They're not taking the right steps they need to to right. keep you and your family safe, but yet they were charged. and. They were charged with um, the using the CFA, but mostly for um, oh, what was it? Wire, wire fraud. Wire
0: fraud, okay. Because they based sold, on what though? What?
3: They sold T-shirts that said "Be Gay, Do Crime."
0: How's that wire fraud?
3: Because That's... it was you involved with their hack. It's how they funded their hacking. I'm not exactly.
0: Wow, that is a that is a reach right there. No, I can... <laughs> and they're
3: there's 17 charges, and they're all reaches. <laughs> okay. Like really big reaches. Mostly, it was um. You know people get mad when you upset the status quo
0: yes exactly that's exactly right yep yep and there's and there's a lot of the lot of the cyber laws are so old that they, uh, they yeah. don't really account for what is going on today absolutely so the, so the, and pro- honestly prosecutors and this is just, this is just me on a soapbox prosecutors if they can't if they don't think they're going to get a prose- they're going to get a conviction they're not going to bring it to court so the only reason there's 17 charges they're hoping they'll plead a one and be done with it, and they can get a plea agreement. (laughs) Okay. So does Cult of the Dead Cow have its own website people can go to to learn how to do legal cyber activism?
3: Absolutely. It's um, cultdeadcow.com. There's all of our text files are up there, Um, you know, as well as the different projects we've worked on. You can see the history of BO2K, as well as the original Back Orifice and the different software that has been released under the herd. Um, You know, as well as... Just seeing what we're up to and how we're getting active again. Um, you know, a couple years ago, Call to the Dead Cow was back in the media simply because Beto um, O'Rourke had, you know, come out as being one of the members. All right, yes. And, you know, he, it looks like he may be running for Texas governor, so mm-hmm. we're hoping. So it would be very cool to see somebody that has been involved with hacktivism with changing and forming the Internet as we know it.
0: So do you have any advice to, to young women who are, let's say they're in college and not sure what they want to do. Maybe they want to do some stuff with computers. Any advice to them for what they should look? I mean, you know, should they look for certification? Should they get their four-year degree and go do something else? Any advice for them on the route they should go? Because obviously we need, we need more diversity in, in the cyber world. And so how do we start there?
3: um i any advice that i have for young women when it comes to this sort of thing is to remember that the world is your oyster you can do whatever you want to do it doesn't necessarily mean that you need a college degree you don't necessarily need certifications you can find what you're good at and focus on that i'm not a technical person i can't code a single line um but you know, I still have a place here. Everybody has a place here. And this is where the future is going to be. Jobs are not going to be the same in 20 years that they are now. And it's time to start preparing for that.
0: That's a great point. Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm sorry for the, all the interruptions. but It's, okay. uh, you know, it's not really my fault. So. <laughs> thanks so much. All right. All right thank right, you. So that is going to do it for episode 51 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interviews as much as I enjoyed doing them myself. Those are three very smart ladies, and we're going to have a couple of them on in the future for a more detailed discussion, which I think you'll find interesting. As you go through your week, make sure you remember that knowledge is protection. Educate yourself on the different cybersecurity matters, because if you understand the threats that are targeting you, you can assess your risk and you can then proceed wisely online. Thanks so much for listening. Pass this this, uh, information on this podcast or the Get Cyber Smart podcast to your friends. We will talk to you next week.